Hello and welcome to episode 374 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Desert Air, Washington. Hello. On location. We're not on location, On location. We're just in a location. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the time when we record the podcast, we are in a location. We are near the site of last week's Columbia Cup. But that is not the reason we are here, and I was not there, as, as discussed on last week's pod. Uh... Well, we're going with Desert Air, not Mattawa, Washington. Technically, we are in, I mean, I don't know, the address says Mattawa, but we are in Desert Air. Okay, that's an important distinction to figure out. Yeah, I've definitely explored the city of Mattawa, Washington, which (laughs) I did not know existed beforehand. Uh, It it previously to me was just a place where I got annoyed when people slowed down to turn off of 240 as we were heading toward the Tri-City this route. Yeah, now we are those people. It makes you think, though, driving into the town of Mattawa, Washington, there's so many towns that might exist that I have no idea that they're there. If all you see is freeway, literally you could drive like a quarter mile and there might be a town. That kind of blew my mind. That is true. I was uh, like, wow, there's a whole city up here. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, we, d- we certainly have nothing do not, to add about the city. Do not have a local Mattawa beer or desert air but we did want to go with something from central washington this week so from our friends at icicle brewing in leavenworth washington we have the bootjack ipa starting with the pristine waters of icicle creek we add the intense flavors and aromas of our locally grown yakima hops pairing the citrusy floral hop notes with a sweet malty undertone it's an ipa that's breaking the barrier between bitter and bold. I didn't know that there was a bitter between those two things, but the barrier has yeah. been broken. Distinct barrier between bitter and bold. Bootjack IPA from Icicle. Yeah, it's cold. <laughs> uh, we have a handful of toasts this week. Starting with a congrats to Ballard FC, which will host the USL League 2 wow. championship game after defeating the four-time champion Flint City Bucks 1-0. And last Sunday's semifinal behind a goal from Takato Onodera of Seattle University, Ballard in its second year as a franchise will face Lions Bridge FC from Virginia on Saturday at Starfire Stadium. Absolutely. Okay. So currently, no, actually, we'll we'll have some positive Seattle soccer updates on the women's side. Okay. I was going to say Seattle's most successful soccer. There were so many words in that toast. And I comprehended like Ballard, definitely understood Ballard. Starfire. Okay. Virginia. Seattle University, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were there were really a lot of new words to the Pelton cast <laughs> in that toast. I mean, USL has definitely been uttered on the Pelton cast before, I'm quite confident. I think we've talked about Ballard FC. Yeah, we talked about them when they started. Up the bridges. Okay. Yeah. They're in the USL? USL League 2. Okay. <laughs> okay. So USL League 1 is primarily teams like the Tacoma Defiance, which oh, are... Yeah. MLS affiliates. USL League Two is independent franchises, much smaller locations like Flint City, apparently. The Flint City Box. Which presumably is just Flint. Uh, yeah. So there we go. Called uh, them out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, it's not like Kansas City is the full name. I, I should not have said Flint City. I should have just said Flint. Uh, 
Oh, it was yourself you were calling I out. was. I was uh, going to say, hasn't Flint been through enough? Uh, they, indeed, they have. Shouts to Flint. Uh, farewell to John Ross III, who was placed on the reserved retired list, list by the Chiefs before ever joining them for training camp. Ross played five seasons in the NFL, finishing with 11 career touchdowns after being drafted number nine overall by the Cincinnati Bengals in 2017, coming off his record-setting 2016 season, helping UW get to the college football playoff and win the what was once the Pac-12. Ross <laughs> had 81 catches for 1,150 yards, and they actually beat Colorado. I know. Of all teams. Everybody, that was actually really funny. Wait, hold. I have two points about this. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. I've gotten you into conference three. No, no, no. This was... is not a conference three alignment thing. Okay. But uh, number one, it's so strange that you're telling me that John Ross III retired because I'm pretty confident he's having his breakout season this oh, year. Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, we definitely would have believed that had we known he was signing with the Chiefs. Every year. That John Ross plays is the year that he's going to have his breakout year. He had like I a touchdown for the Giants in 2021, and it was like, all right, John Ross back. John on Ross track. is back. I and remember. It turned that, out actually. it was Dante Pettis, I think, who was on his quarter for the Giants, of all people. That was the game, though, that I thought of. Right when Colorado left the Pac-12, everybody was dunking on Colorado. Right, most notably Dan Lanning. I yes, it was like I don't remember them winning a championship. Was Dan Lan- Dan Lanning was f- he he coached in the Pac-12 before he went to Georgia? Right? No, he had no West Coast he affiliation. Has as no far as West I Coast know. affiliation, yeah. and he already came in dunking on. I mean, it was kind of like <laughs> oh, you. if Colorado wanted to re- re- rebuke Dan Lanning, which I don't think they need to. Oh, he had coached at Arizona State for a couple of years. That's right. It was just like you wouldn't know, dude. <laughs> you weren't here. You don't remember the Stephen Montez era, but wow. I remember the Stephen Montez era. <laughs> I was. I did think that was funny that it was just like we actually played probably the most notable Pac-12 game Colorado played. Yeah, without question, and beat them comfortably. Was no, that wasn't a comfortable game, was it? I thought it was sort of like it was, we were up by ten the entire game, but it was never actually close. An arm's length game. Uh, it was the Utah game, the other Pac-12 Byron Murphy had the pick yeah. six, or maybe it was it a pick six or just a pick to end it. I think it was. I think it might have been a pick six. We so. really played some not particularly notable teams in Pac-12 championship games. They, the, they the could quote, all be in the Big Twelve by, by I, tomorrow. Yeah, the quote-unquote blue bloods of the Pac-12 have been extraordinarily bad at winning football games, especially for the Pac-12 South. I mean, USC has made some championship games at times, just not any that UW was in. They made it. They made a notable championship game recently, Pac-12 championship. They did. Uh, where they played, of course, Utah. Uh, lastly, this week, a farewell to Colton Wong, who was designated for assignment by the Mariners. No. After hitting 165 in 216 at-bats with the team. Incidentally, Jesse Winker, for whom he was traded, is now down to 199, currently on the 10-day IL for the Brewers. Has still been more productive than Colton Wong, but it is a real, it is a real, like, you know, hey, let's get this by low candidate. He's going to bounce back with our team. Nope, didn't happen for either team. Colton so. Wong, we probably won't remember you. <laughs> There's a good chance in, like, five years, we will be on this very podcast, and we will be like, who is that guy the Mariners traded for, who we had, like, hopes for, and then he was awful immediately, and we'll be like, we'll make a joke. And, and we'll be, be like, Cibola. no, no, we'll make the joke, and we'll be like, everybody. Oh, that, that's and, a good one. And then we'll be like, no, no, but it was the one guy, and we really thought he was going to be good, and it was the year that they made all the terrible signings, and nobody was good, and it was right before Jerry DePoto was fired. Um, oh, <laughs> Wow. 
<laughs> and is that is that the take? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't even do takes. I, didn't, I for- <laughs> forgot to do takes. <laughs> forgot to do takes. <laughs> you saying that was the first that I thought of Mariners hot takes. <laughs> but I, th- I, I'm just a little shaken. But we will think of, we will not remember Colton Wong's name, and somebody out there will be like Colton Wong. They will be saying it to themselves. They'll be mad at us, and Zach, that's going that to happen. Someone will be Zach Jabal. Yeah, <laughs> he will be listening. This to is the like pod. five years from now. Who knows? We might even have a second. I, the other thing point. I was thinking. Oh wow, that's that's aspirational. Yeah, uh, I was thinking like someday we'll be playing Immaculate Grids, and the Brewers and the Mariners will come up or. Where did he play before? The Cardinals. Pirates? He was like oh, the Cardinals. most successful right, for the yeah. Cardinals. Uh, and we've like, did anyone play for both of those teams? Actually, no, I will say Jeff Cirillo for the Brewers <laughs> yeah. and the Mariners. Forever. That one's locked in there. Forever and ever, amen. <laughs> you know, be Jeff, Cirillo. Jeff Cirillo as a Rocky more than a Brewer. That's, that's all-star Jeff Cirillo to you. Thank you. He, he's, he's, Colton Wong also, I think, was an all-star. I, I believe he was, yeah. I mean, there was a reason we were hopeful that uh, uh, he would bounce back this season. Anyway, then, that's what we'll remember Colton Wong as. <laughs> But that we won't remember Colton Wagas. Remember when the shift was going to make everybody's batting average go way up? Uh, it turns out you have to hit the ball in play for it to be affected by this by the shift. <sighs> Poor Colton Wong. Colton Wong never never an All Star. Two time Gold Glover never an All Star. Okay, that's probably what I was thinking of. Oh, clearly it was. Uh, well, I guess it's not time for your favorite segment. Unless you want to do something impromptu on the Mariners trade deadline, which has already spurred plenty of hot takes. Maybe that's the that's the the hot take this week is not having hot takes. Because everybody else has hot takes. Exactly. I Well let's run let's run through the moves. So most notably Look, we're out here in desert air, it's already so hot. I couldn't have takes hotter than the Wow, water. that is that is true. The Mariners traded away their closer. It's also quite windy. <laughs> Very windy, in, in case you can't tell from the audio quality here. Uh, Paul Seawald to the Diamondbacks. In return, they received three players, infielder, outfielder Josh Rojas, outfielder Dominic Canzone, and prospect second baseman Ryan Bliss. They also traded away A.J. Pollock and a minor leaguer to the Giants, getting a player to be named later in return, and then traded another minor leaguer to the Orioles in exchange for reliever Edward Bazardo. So... If we're talking about the players who we're, we're thinking of that were on the Mariners for a short period of time, and we don't remember them, I said Colton Wong. But what I actually meant to say was A.J. Pollock. Because oh. the A.J. Pollock tenure, is, it, it was short and uneventful. Similar to the Colton Wong tenure, the Mariners' big free agent moves this offseason. They are now down three of them. <laughs> The biggest biggest offseason moves to Oscar Hernandez, Colton Wong, AJ Pollock, Tommy Listella. How many of them are on the roster after the trade deadline? One and by a threat. Yes. Hanging by a thread like Arizona in the Pac-12. AJ Pollock is oh, still on the roster. That, that, that was your hot take. Is the Mariners roster is the Mariners or the Pac-12 and realignment is the trade deadline. That's that's the take. Uh yeah, I mean, it's hard to say Tommy Lestella was like a really big move in the offseason, but you're right. Pollock, uh... Wasn't he the opening day DH? Oh, he very much was the opening day okay. DH. We were there. By sta- have by you been to off-season standards, Tommy... Le- no, I, I have not been to one since. Me neither. It's <laughs> wild. I'm going in August. I guess it is August. Well, happy August, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. You must be loving that it's early August and not fall. I've, I'm... I'm... What's the opposite of eagerly anticipating something? <laughs> Dreading? Yeah. 
as you said it last last year you you nailed it august is the sunday scariest of months it it is i i do i also agree with that <laughs> you also agree with yourself <laughs> i still agree with myself yeah the mariners off season we didn't think it was great in the first place and it turned out even worse than we hoped or feared so <sighs> but to to follow up the off season being not great in hindsight and also us not thinking it was that good in the moment we present to you the mariners trade deadline oh wow so despite being on a little bit of a surge here and still very much in the wild card hunt trade away if their they would have won earlier tonight they would have been in don't look now territory wow Wow. That was it. We were wa- we watched almost every single inning, but we, they were so close to Don't Look Now territory and couldn't quite pull it off. It was like kind of a classic Mariners loss. Uh, they've had many of these lately, uh, including apparently against these Diamondbacks last week. And uh, oh yeah, no. I mean, there's two games. Honestly, anytime the Mariners have lost in the last like ten days, I have been so frustrated about how they lost. Yeah. There's really any convincing wins either. They're just all close games. What if they made the whole plan out of close games? Well, yesterday was 6-2. to two. Yeah. That's the exception that proves the rule. The fact that you can name an individual one. So anyway, they traded their closer, Paul Seawald, bringing back a move that they had pioneered at the 2021 trade deadline. Not pioneered. Uh, they were the first ones to think of this, <laughs> trading your closer. When they sent Kittle Graveman to the Astros. This is like Puff Daddy inventing the remix. <laughs> LeBron James inventing, inventing Taco, Taco Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. That is the Mariners inventing trading your closer at the deadline. Uh, so Seawald has one year remaining of team control beyond this season. So it's not an expiring contract per se, but coming down to it. And look, I think this is too... Like, Obviously, you're never, you know, the the obligatory discussion over the past few days was like, oh, they're not going to like it in the clubhouse. And it's like, well, OK, that that probably shouldn't be how you run your team. Uh, but also, like, you know, the clubhouse hasn't probably done a lot of studies on the volatility of relief pitching. Yeah, I don't I agree. I don't the clubhouse is going to be fine. Clubhouses are always fine. Trading Paul Seawald is not how you lose a clubhouse. Uh Playing like shit is how the clubhouse gets lost. And not having good enough players to be on the field is a bigger issue here. And I think the main issue is that trading Paul Seawald for Josh Rojas, the promising, very exciting, promising, Dominic Canzone, uh, and also Ryan Bliss, it's not going to transform what this roster is going to look like. It doesn't get them necessarily that much younger. And it doesn't get them that much talent to be able to use in the future. And I think that's kind of what the issue for me was, is it's kind of just some new guys. And Paul Seawald is probably a good enough asset. I mean, similar to the Graveman trade, right? Who did they get? That was Abraham Toro. Yeah. Yeah, Abraham Toro was literally just a guy, right? And Abraham Toro was part of the deal that brought them Colton Wong. That's correct. And then Colton Wong was DFA'd today. Like, this shit doesn't work. The trading of players, churning through players for 25th guys on the roster. Even I say it Ty work. France yeah. is like, where is Ty France hitting in the lineup right now? He's, he's seven. There is a reality to this that sometimes you can have a breakout season, but if you're not a five star player or whatever, five tools player, 
ultimately what most often happens is you regress to the mean and that's kind of what we're seeing from ty france this season like when ty france ty france isn't a power hitter he's not an average hitter he's not an on-base percentage hitter ty france is i think he was certainly an average you know he has been some of these things but ty france is not somebody do you think ty france will be an all-star ever again in his career probably not no but you don't have to be an all-star to have value but Especially if you're on a team-friendly contract. Not to have the Ty France conversation, but like, A, apparently how, we're having the how much France longer is Ty France going to be on a team-friendly contract? And B, Ty France is a first baseman. He's not a free agent until 2026. But, it's, but again, Ty France is fine. Like, he is the best possible outcome for this happening. And I, again, it still is, that's an outlier situation that happened with Ty France. Sure, but I, if the Mariners could have traded Paul Seawald for Shohei Otani, I think they would have done that move. As it turns out, there probably wasn't that offer on the table. But Paul Seawald is a, is a known commodity. The chances of Paul Seawald being... But that's the whole point that I just was making, is that there is no such thing as a known quantity among relievers. They're inherently volatile. I'm not sure if that's entirely true. I'm I'm closer to believing that than you are. No, I don't I'm, believe that. I'm fine with that. I mean, we talked fault. about that last week. I was saying to you that if the Mariners traded Seawald and Munoz and went into August with Justin Topa, who I fucking love, if they went into the August with Justin Topa Chico as their closer, I wouldn't say that they were out of the playoff hunt. It's probably going to be Munoz, isn't it? Well, that's what, I mean, this hypothetical scenario where both of them were traded. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. Then, then I would be totally fine with that. But at the same time, you want to get players who are more than just, well, we'll see. Like, at least you get a prospect back, and maybe that's what Ryan Bliss is. So tell me about him. You're, we're going to start with Ryan Bliss? Well, okay, let's go through all of them. Yeah. Uh, Rojas, a regular starter for Arizona, had a variety of positions in 2021 and 2022, posting an OPS of 752 in 2021, 739 last season, but fell off this year. Colton Wong-esque fashion. I mean. Seeing his slash line slide to 228, 292, 296. Has played most often in his MLB career at third base, but has also played has played at least 40 games at all three non-first base infield positions, both corner outfield spots. The worrying thing here is it's someone else on Sam Haggerty's corner. I mean, there's also somebody else on Sam Haggerty's corner. There's there's a lot of guys on Sam Haggerty's corner right now, unfortunately, despite how Sam Haggerty raking lately at Tacoma. Col- Colton Wong has more MVP votes than Russell Wilson. <laughs> when you put it that way, I had not thought to put it that way. Uh, so, you know, obviously the most exciting part of the trade for us is Dominic Canzone. There's yes. not a lot of clear data out there about him being <laughs> Italian because Rick Riz has not yet interviewed him. Okay, good, good. I'm sure that Rick Riz will weigh in at some point soon, but local Phoenix uh, radio host John Gambadoro, there we go, who I regularly go on with on his show, was excited about having an Italian contributed to the Diamondbacks. So I don't, I don't know if there's been where, any where research is this, behind is he that. publicly quoted as saying he was excited about having Italian? That was a, he tweeted about it. Okay. Yeah. I'm just saying, what, what do we need confirmation for beyond his name being Dom Canzone? The funny thing is his brothers have like completely un-Italian names. It would be like, like, if I had like Luca, Rick, and Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yes. Hold on, I gotta double check it. Go, go to... Uh, find the his parents, you gotta stick with it. If your last name is Kinzone, which is how we're going to be pronouncing his oh, name, of course. No. 
Oh no, hold on here. Why why is this just bringing up uh, Dominic Fletcher and David Fletcher? I don't I don't need that information right now. It was it was almost hilarious the to the degree to which his brothers had wildly different. I, oh, it's a Bennett uh, is the next brother. Uh, his dad is Dave Cansone. Okay, that was a generational thing. It was a bad generation. It's okay. We'll we'll we give them a pass, but it's fine. Yes, we we have that in our family as well. M a i a r e d. I don't know how to pronounce that. What <laughs> Myred? I don't say this name again. M a i a r e d. It's not. It's not a name that I have ever seen before. Myred, and Colin, Bennett and Colin, though, for sure, not not Italian names whatsoever. So, there you go. Uh, anyways, about Dominic Canzone as a player and not just as an Italian to finally fill that void on the Mariners was drafted in the eighth round out of Ohio wow. State in twenty nineteen. Are you are you looking up that name? The Scottish Gaelic equivalent of Margaret. Huh. Appears to be Irish and Scottish. Huh. I mean, I just, I can't imagine what the last, he could be half Irish, half Italian. I'm okay with that. No, it's, well, his his mother's last name is Miklos. So there seems to be some Greek. Greek? <laughs> so we'll have to get the the DNA test as we did with Ty France. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he made his major league debut in July, has played at right field in DH for the Diamondbacks, started at right field on Tuesday, giving Teoscar Hernandez a rare night off on the day of the trade deadline, sporking a thousand expect tweets the, expecting that Hernandez would be traded, which he was not. Uh, slashed 354, 431, 634 at Reno this season, including 16 homers in 304 at-bats. But before you get too excited, Reno, an extreme pitcher's park. Hitters PCL, Park. Or hit, hitters yeah. Park in the PCL, yeah. You said it was like Coors Light on steroids. Coors that Light. Was, Coors was, Field on steroids. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> Coors Light on steroids. <laughs> you know what that is? It's Coors Original. Yeah, the banquet beer. Yeah. <laughs> the banquet beer, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the ESPN Plus description in their trade grades where they awarded the Mariners AC for this trade, which seems about reasonable. I would say it's not like... It's clearly not like a winning trade. Whether it's a terrible trade, the terrible trade that Mariners fans seem to think of it is, I don't know that that's true either. Uh, Ryan Bliss is the prospect in this deal. He was recently promoted to Reno after hitting 358 at Double A Amarillo, another hitter's park. Uh, he's age 23, and then uh, mentioned that they got Eduardo Berzardo from the Orioles. He had been designated for assignment after getting rocked for six hits and four runs in two and a third innings with the Orioles this season. So. You know, the Mariners must see something they like in his stuff. He's been kind of on the fringes of the major leagues in recent seasons. I believe it also pitched for the Red Sox before the Orioles. Okay. So he fills a spot in the bullpen. So it was funny because I was watching. You had the same experience with Josh Rojas last week. Yes. The Mariners playing the Diamond Diamondbacks right before this is great. I think all trades should happen like this because it's the only way that you're actually going to be familiar with players on other teams in Major League Baseball. It's just how the sport works. Yep. And so I saw Dom Canzone, and I was just like, oh, look at the Diamondbacks. I was like, this Italian guy's pretty good. And I think he got a hit in that game. And I was just like, ah, oh, I really like this guy. And then the Mariners traded for him right away. So there you go. if there's anything that I can approve of from this Mariners trade deadline, it is trading for an Italian player and putting him in the majors. <laughs> And a double in his first game. Yes. 
had had a bit of a moment. So let's see. They seem to have already moved Ryan Bliss from the Arizona Diamondbacks prospects to the Mariners prospects. So let's see where MLB.com has him among the Mariners prospects, if indeed that is the case, as I try to load Just this page live. call up Sam Haggerty, though. Uh, Mr. DePoto, call up Sam Haggerty. Where is Ryan Bliss? Number 14 now among the Mariners prospects. Number 13, Dom Canzone. So wow. they've added two top 15 prospects. That's how they're going to trade they've, for the next Juan Soto. They've dropped Kid Marlowe and Isaiah Campbell down out of the top 15 with these trades. With this trade. Anything more on the Mariners? It's, it's whatever. The, it's whatever. The 2023 I mean, Mariners really, that's not bad and they're not good. Yeah. All of the individual moves have been bad, but also they have been unlucky. If you look at the run differential, it's still the run differential of a team that probably should be like closer to in the mix for the wild card. I guess the other thing we should know here is Shohei Otani did not get traded. I think Shohei staying in Anaheim is getting a little bit more steam than I initially anticipated. Interesting. So we'll, it could be a real battle here uh, between the Mariners and the Angels, not just potentially for a wild card spot, but also to see what kind of case you can make to Shohei Otani. The the Angels are kind of all in. Yes, they made a win now move this week. Uh, they're more. It'll still be hard for them to make the playoffs, but if Shohei is content enough with how things are going and the Angels appear to be all in I wouldn't be shocked to see them whereas I think initially they were completely out of the mix and it has sort of been with really really high priced free agents aside once they hit the open market aside from Aaron Judge Aaron Judge is a pretty I think a pretty big outlier of somebody who went to the open market and ended up re-signing but also that's the fucking Yankees like there's a difference agreed all right, let's get into the roundup, starting with the Seattle Sounders, who we will no longer have to debate the meaning of the League's Cup because the Sounders are not going to be seeing any more wow. of it. Uh, they scored a, Show me the meaning they scored of being a, lonely when watching the League's Cup. Well, we're, you know, I'll, I'll be lonely when we get to the uh, bold predictions review for this year. Uh, the Sounders scored a pair of goals in the first two minutes, ten Did minutes. you boldly predict that the Sounders were going to win the League's Cup? My <laughs> That's the worst bold prediction of all time. Oh, so. it's not the worst bold prediction. I don't know if we have a ranking of those. So we should do it. <laughs> the worst bold predictions. <laughs> it can't be a, like a bad bold prediction because it didn't come true. Because then it's bold enough. Fair. It's more just like if if your bold prediction is actually the Sounders win the League's Cup. That's just like even if it happened, no one would care. <laughs> Some people. Not, not no one. There, there's a cer- a certain sect out there that cares about whatever they're told to care about from the MLS. Again, I think that against, among Sounders fans, and I, I know I've talked to people about it, have seen some discussion of it online, very mixed emotions about whether to care about the League's Cup at all. <laughs> it's complicated. The Sounders scored a pair their, of... Their emotions about whether they care about the League's Cup have now been determined that they actually didn't care ever. Yeah, well, that's that's definitely the case. The Sounders scored a pair of goals in the first 10 minutes on Sunday, hosting Monterey through Nico Ladero and Jordan Morris, only to surrender four goals. The rest of the game, Monterey equalized in stoppage time of the first half on a penalty, then took the lead three minutes into the second half. Starting in place of the injured Stephen Fry, Stephen Cleveland was battered with 17 shots, nine of them on goal in this one, four of them 
in the back of the net, obviously including the penalty. Sounders will now go three weeks between games because the rest of the league's cup, the actual knockout bracket featuring, I think, 32 teams, but not the Sounders, will be going on. Really? Yeah. They're just taking this time off? Yeah. They, it's unscheduled because they could have been playing continuing in the League's Cup. Yeah, but they don't do that for any other cup. They don't even do that for like the World Cup, right? But MLS games will be happening. It just won't involve the Sounders. And so it wasn't like they rescheduled you know, the Sounders versus whatever team from the South lost to Messi and Inter-Miami. So the, any I, team that was in the League's Cup, they didn't schedule them for this time period? Yes, so other, which is all of the teams. Every team is in League's Cup. So there are no MLS games happening? No MLS regular season games, no. Wow, they really are trying to promote this League's Cup. They are. What kind of TV deal did they get for the League's Cup that is making them promote this so much? Well, stay tuned on that one. Is this is this through Apple TV? It's it's part of it's part of along with the regular season deal. But yes, we will be talking more about Apple TV and the MLS deal in a bit here. Uh so it's an opportunity for them to get back on track in training after winning just once across both June and July. Also to get healthy with Christian Roldan missing Sunday's match due to the concussion he suffered the previous week at Real Salt Lake. Mentioned Fry undergoing finger surgery to correct a joint alignment for the team. Fry is, quote, not expected to miss an extended period, although it depends on what your definition of an extended period is now, doesn't it? I mean, I guess so. It seems plausible that he could be back for the, the next game. They will play again on, uh, I believe, July 20th? August. August 20th, yeah. <laughs> they're they taking, they're taking a full, full 11 months off for League's oh, Cup. No. <laughs> <laughs> they're actually going to the time machine backwards. So, uh, yeah. So not going to be a lot of Sounders talk on the pod for a while here. I'm just so shocked about this, that they're taking three... Are, who is... There have to be other MLS teams that have been eliminated from League's Cup. Yeah, because they're playing against Liga MAKs. Those and, teams are generally better. And they're just like, we're good. Yeah. Let me give, this is for Adam Silver, a piece of advice. Extra tournaments actually are bad. I, the NBA, the way they're doing it, will not be as bad as, as this. Well, they're probably not going to take three weeks off from competition if you lose. They're not. So the NBA in-season tournament, the qualifying games are just regular season games, although they will be on designated nights where all of the games will be in-season tournament group stage games. And then when you get to the actual knockout stages, it's only eight teams. So it only is taking a week. Like, less than a full week not the entire month uh basically and then the other than the final all those games count as regular season games and if you're not among the eight teams that advances to the in-season tournament knockout phase you get scheduled against other teams that aren't playing to just play regular season games on those days that sounds kind of horrible scheduling wise but it's yes, it's going to be kind of confusing, but it doesn't. It means that no one gets a three week break because of the fact that they lost in the in the group stage. I just can't even imagine a league where you're like, you know what? Any steam we have built up for the first half of our season, let's just blow it because we care so much about the league's cup. Let's have our fans I mean, not pay attention for three full weeks. I don't know what the attendance was on Sunday. The reason they do this is because of the fact that they can sell a lot more tickets to games against Liga MAX teams than they can. It's it's the precursor to the eventual merger between Liga MAX and MLS. Yeah, but this, this is different. This is a tournament. 
Like, I'm just saying. It's, just do the merger. Well, they know that the tickets are going to sell. That's going to take a while. Okay, let's say that the, there's going to be a merger between these two leagues. Yes. We know that League MX has the Apertura and the Clausura. Correct. So... <laughs> Do you remember those words from last week, or did you know that previously? <laughs> oh, it's deep down in there. Okay, good. Would it be a pairing for the entire season? And, like, who would have to adjust here? Or would there still be a Mexican season, one Mexican season, and then one season with MLS? I don't know. That's a, These are all good questions. I don't know how that would eventually play. I mean, the bigger question is that Liga MX, like all the other world's, leagues in the world, has promotion and relegation. And MLS ain't doing that shit. <laughs> so there's many questions. Have some teams in like Maybe. Charleston that you don't even know exist, but you play every two years. We're like as messy on the um, schedule, and it's like not this year. Apparently, Miami just doesn't play them. Sadly, you will not be alone in Charleston at a Sounders Charleston Battery MLS match anytime soon. They, there is it. Are is there not an MLS team in Charleston? There is not. They're no. scheduled. No. There's been there's been chatter. No, I don't think there's there been, been chatter. There've been message boards. Somebody's no. brought oh, it up. Okay, yeah, in the Charleston soccer message boards. I'm sure that there's a lot of talk about can we be the expansion team? <laughs> Tell me where we can find Charleston to the MLS. <laughs> oh, maybe on the dark web. But isn't that basically what MLS is though? It's like there's not promotion and relegation. It's just you don't get to see some of these teams. I suppose so. Yeah. It's it's really just I feel like MLS needs like a come to Jesus moment, with a little bit no. of a like, what are we, what are we doing here? Unfortunately, the current soccer Jesus instead just came to MLS. It was the other way around. I mean, covered up probably many of the problems that are happening. Oh well, rain returned to action <sighs> on Friday from their World Cup break and clinched the top spot in the West Division of the NWSL Challenge Literally, the Cup. The World Cup is happening, and they still didn't take three weeks off. It's true. Beating City one nothing on a Bethany of Walser score from the spot in the 71st minute, with Angel City knocking off Portland. The Arena are six points clear in their group heading into the final match on Sunday against the Thorns. Still have not conceded in their five Challenge Cup matches, with Claudia Dickey recording her third clean sheet and goal on Friday to go with two for Laurel Ivory, both backups to usual starter Fallon Tullis Joyce. What you're telling me is that MLS considers the League's Cup more important than the World Cup at this point. I I don't know that I would necessarily say that exactly. (laughs) If the NWSL is like, we got to still keep going, we're going to lose fan interest. Because there's still going to be a lot of games involving MLS teams. There just won't be Sounders games. Yeah. Uh, still something There's to play still going to be a lot of matches involving M- or NWSL players that are happening in the World Cup. Still something to play for Maybe for the rain. Maybe not that long. Maybe not that many more. Well, Sunday uh, against the Thorns as they host them uh, is a win would assure them the top seed in the Challenge Cup knockout stages, the uh, two rounds, uh, basically the semifinal and the final. Well, a draw would leave them open to starting on the road as the number three seed if both the North Carolina Courage and Racing Louisville win their matches. Uh, yes, USWNT. A thrilling, nothing, nothing draw <laughs> last night. Opposite the Netherlands, seven nothing shellacking of they. Uh, they got to seven. Vietnam, a team that US the US beat three nothing in the their opening match uh, a, a week ago Friday. It's not great. I thought the USWNT based on these. They have two zero zero draws, right? 
No, it was a 1-1 draw against Netherlands. Okay, so they've, they've scored one goal in two other matches. I thought I was watching Italy out there. Oh, well... Italy allowed conceded many goals as it turned out against Sweden. This now the the upside of this is we have avoided yes. the cataclysmic USWNT Italy showdown. That is it was Italy possible. Netherlands. It's very likely that Italy will play, face the Netherlands. They have not yet advanced, I believe. As we're recording this, I think that's coming up later later this evening, <laughs> four hours or something Pacific time. Yeah. Uh, the most important thing is out here in Desert Air, Washington. That that match was starting at midnight locally. That's correct. It started there in Seattle as well. It was not exclusive because there the midnight start. On location. Uh, I So I watched pro- the first 20 minutes of the match. You watched the first half of the yeah, match? Yeah, I went to bed at halftime. This is the most important bit of information. <laughs> This is why she's your Pelton Cast MVP, folks. Oh, is it? Pelton Cast MVP, the famous cousin Katie, sat and watched every single minute. Did she confirm that she watched the yes. entire match? Okay. She, she watched every single minute of this zero to zero draw that happened until two o'clock in the morning between the U.S. women's national team and Portugal. It is an impressive feat. It really she is. She sat there. I heard. A tear streaming down her face <laughs> with joy as as the USWNT went on. Uh, she had she had terror, uh, all of the emotions that you could have. Apparently, Portugal match. put one off the post in stoppage time in the second. I half. heard about that from Katie. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Again, that's that's why she's I your heard MVP. About it on folks. ESPN. Yeah. You heard about it directly from the source. Yeah, <laughs> you and I didn't have we didn't have the gumption to do it. No, and Katie did. Close. Well, if you wish so. to reenact that, Italy and South Africa are kicking off. I noticed today everyone went to sleep at like today. 10 p.m. <laughs> well, look, it's it's a classic. Like it's a long day when you're out there in the heat like that all day. So very different, very different mood tonight. All right. Seattle Storm. Oh man, I've been I've been waiting for the storm update. Have you? Well, it's I not what you're looking for. I saw what happened. I mean, Friday you it was. What oh, okay, there was for. more. There was um, okay. Storm suddenly hot with Sammy Whitcomb starting at point guard, as we discussed on last week's pod. That adjustment that uh, helped them play competitively at New York. They snapped their ten game losing streak Friday at Chicago with an eighty three seventy four win behind a season high seventeen points from Gabby Williams. Sammy recorded her first WNBA double-double with 12 points, 10 rebounds in her 208th career game in her seventh season. On Sunday, the Storm made it two in a row for the first time this season by beating Indiana 85-62 to behind 26 points from Joel Lloyd. I know, the Storm are low-key 15 off now. the bench from rookie Jordan Horston. Right? They almost beat the Liberty. They did. This is three consecutive good games. We're in, like, dangerous territory. But that win against Chicago when you were like, there's one game that we have to be cheering for them to win. And for them to have beaten Chicago in that game, I was like, hell yes, they freaking did it. There was a while that Chicago had fallen into a tie for the eighth and final playoff spot with the Los Angeles Sparks. They have now moved a game and a half up because they won their subsequent game on Sunday, whereas the Sparks have now lost their last two. The Storm, four games out of the eighth and final playoff spot. They they are back into a tie for the worst record in the league with the Phoenix Mercury at 6-19, and a half game back of Indiana at 7-19. and So it's possible. I don't think it's likely. I think you're probably going to need about 15 wins out of 40 games to make the playoffs, and that would mean still the Storm going 9-6 and six the rest of the season. 
We don't want them to make the playoffs. What does making the playoffs do? I, I, Are they going to win the championship? I never said I wanted them to make the playoffs. I'm just informing you of what it would take and why it's unlikely. Okay. But it can't be ruled out at this point. It cannot be ruled out. Uh, they are back home briefly on Wednesday to host the Dallas Wings, who are suddenly number four in the WNBA. Don't look now. <laughs> uh, they did lose their most recent game, but they are 7-3 and three in their last 10 uh, before visiting the Phoenix Mercury on Saturday and then starting an extended homestand with next Tuesday's Kids Day matinee against Connecticut. The 12 noon Pacific start. The WNBA trade deadline is next Monday. Unlikely we see any moves but because of the hard cap. So even like if the Storm wanted to trade Jewel Lloyd as an unrestricted free potential unrestricted free agent in the last year of her contract, it's just like it, it's too difficult to pull something like this off in season. Why is there a hard cap? Because uh, keeping costs down. Okay. <laughs> Anti-labor practices? I mean, I mean, if we're being honest, maybe everybody should have a hard cap. Oh, I don't know if they should. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe everybody should have no cap. I feel like a soft cap is the way to go. Okay. Some cap, but not a hard cap. I mean, obviously the NFL has a hard cap. It's just very large. The WNBA salary cap. The, the other thing that has made in-season trades more difficult is, like, once upon a time teams had some more wiggle room with respect to the cap now because of the fact that rosters you know most teams carry 11 players so they're constantly having these hardship contracts when players get injured and those take them over the salary cap so. Typ typically the sports with hard caps are the worst sports that transact correct <laughs> at the, at the <laughs> i mean WWE has plenty of transact it's like the the ken meme jerry depoto my job is transact <laughs> But you use that meme well for someone who has not seen the movie as I have. The I've seen the memes. <laughs> I, that's what I'm saying. Uh, so that that's why the hard cap is bad. I mean, there's certainly plenty of transact in the off season for the is WNBA. There? Yeah, is there a lot? The M a former M like two MVPs changed teams last off season. Do you not remember that's three free MVPs? Agents. Don't that was like the best offseason of all time. It was. That's but it like still saying happened. that Seattle's hot in the summer because of this year. Oh, yeah. You're like, Seattle's hot in the summer forever because it's been 80 degrees straight. I mean, John Quill Jones was traded. She requested a trade. That was transact. Okay, fine. You're just a guy who doesn't remember. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> The famous cousin Katie's daughter has just walked Why, in. Why, hello there. At 11 p.m. <laughs> unexpectedly. I was terrified when that door opened. <laughs> Outside in desert air Washington. I thought there was going to be an intruder. <laughs> you, you were getting prepared to fight them off? No, I was horrified. <laughs> what, if, what if it was, in fact, an 11-year-old? <laughs> then would you, were you prepared? An, an intruder 11-year-old? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Oh. Unum football begins fall practice on Wednesday. That's the only thing that's going on right now, right? Uh-huh. Everybody's yeah. looking forward to fall practice. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you want to just, like, uh, get into Ted it? Ted Talk. Yeah. Ted Talk on conference realignment. First off, you heard it here first last week on the Pelton cast that Colorado was gone. You did. I, suppose, I, I don't know if you heard first. it here first because I was just reporting stuff that I'd heard from multiple Granted, other people. Yes. I heard it here first. I guess I will say I, I had missed it. 
is someone who does not care about conference or, or cares about what? conference realignment only to hate it. But can you acknowledge that conference realignment is a thing that is going to happen and you're probably still going to care about college sports after? I mean, I will probably still care about college sports. I will care less. You think you will actually care less about college sports? 100%. Like, a great deal of the... Like, the reason you enjoy college sports, despite all the many horrible things about its structure, its anti-labor elements, uh, you know, the fact that uh, in many sports, the quality of play is just less good version of pro sports... The thing it has going for it is tradition, uh-huh. and if you lose the tradition, then all of a sudden you've just got minor league sports, which no one cares about. I, I Many think people they, care about minor they league They are sports, in a you know little bit of a, a dangerous territory for that, I do think. Yeah. I. It's definitely like, I said this on Twitter, it's chasing and talking about, referencing my friend Seth Partnow's complaint about some of the things that have happened in the NBA. It's you're constantly chasing that short-term high of whatever is going to be best for us right now in terms of TV deals without considering, hey, maybe if we start all our games at 8 p.m., people aren't, as many, not as many people are going to come to the games, and that's going to hurt us long-term. Because if people don't come to games, they're not as interested in watching it on TV. Yes, you have less fans. Uh, I, I think it's fair. I mean... That doesn't make me less interested in conference realignment. I'm interested in conference realignment from a preservation standpoint. Not that I care about... I didn't care about it before this, right? I care about it from the perspective of... I just want UW to end up in a place where I feel like they're still going to be able to play high-level competitive college football. Yeah, and that place is the big time. I mean, I think it could be another conference, but I don't want it to feel like... UW has been left behind in this conversation because as an alum and fan of UW, I acknowledge, I recognize clearly that it is one of the greatest institutions in the country, excluding nobody. <laughs> clearly. Clearly under, have a very clear perspective on this. But I feel like having attended there, I think much less of it as an academic institution, but that's I different. I get mad when I see people not wanting UW to be part of their conference, Right. Look, this is the entire issue that the fucking conference has, my perspective about it. Like, I've got the 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 ego that pa- the Pac-12 has about the Pac-12. The unearned ego. Yeah. And and I understand, like, when I see people from the they, Big 12... They've been referring to themselves as the Conference of Champions for so long, they bought they, into They believe it. <laughs> they got high on their own supply. But the th- th- when I see people... Like, Big 12 fans being like, ho, 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 we got the Pac-12. There is a class element to it that this is the one place that I subscribe to the upper class. Because U- UW is in a different element as far as these institutions. They are a large state institution. They spend on research. Like, UW is a different type of institution than Iowa State. I'm sorry. I mean, a thing that we talked about last year when this first began with US, UCLA and USC moving to the Big Ten is that, like, there's... there there Historically, with conferences, it was not just about what made the most revenue. It was also about like-minded institutions that was you know geographically and philosophically and that has if not entirely been severed in the severed in the big 10 yet it has definitely 
does not exist anywhere else. Maybe the SEC, you could say, is like-minded still with the additions that they've made. Nowhere else can you say that. I'm not exactly there's no, there's sure. There's no coherence to the Big 12. I mean, even though Colorado going back to the Big 12 actually does make sense from a geographic and historic no, standpoint. No, no, I, th- I think that, like, I'm, I don't fold Colorado from going back to the Big 12 at all. Not at all. I think it makes a lot of sense. But, like, and I think Arizona going to the Big 12 makes a lot of sense. Like, when you're talking about it structurally as far as the institutions, both of those schools feel like, honestly, all of the four-corner schools, I think they are pretty natural Big 12 schools. Like, if, if things ended up where, and I, I think Arizona is all but gone to the Big 12. I think this would probably be announced maybe as you're listening to this. That mm, Big 12, seems like it's not going to happen that imminently. The, it's going to happen fast. The, some, some schools I mean, are I, ending up where they belong. And the reality is UW, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington, honestly, probably Stanford and Cal as well. It's just they don't care about football. Like, those institutions make a lot of sense with the Big Ten. Yes. And the reason that they haven't been invited to the Big Ten is because of the money piece. That's where there's the issue. If, if what we had was a West Coast sect of the Big Ten and those schools going to the Big 12, schools would kind of, in this scenario, end up where they belong. Well, I mean, the problem obviously would be Washington State and Oregon State who get left out in the cold in the whatever. But they are, Washington State some, and Oregon State are different types of institutions. They are, but they've also been aligned with those other six schools you mentioned for since like 19, the 50s? I don't know, a long period of time. I'm not saying that I, I, would, I would be more than happy to basically just have the Pac-12. I mean, yes. if you could just redo it and be like, we figured out the Pac-12, that would be great. We just but without, got a new media deal. Without USC and UCLA. We, we took the, uh, the, the, the bureaucracy and management of the Big 12 and put them over the Pac-12 in schools. Of the Big Ten, you're saying? No, I'm saying even of the Big 12, since the Big 12 media oh, yeah. is clearly so much better than the Pac-12s. Yes, and yeah. it was just the Pac-12. I would be fine with that. Yeah, I mean, the outcome I want is the closest to maintaining the current Pac-12 as possible. But losing Washington State and Oregon State would still be a pretty big blow to me. I agree with that, but I'm, ta- I'm also talking about preservation here, too. I get it. I Look, I, I do understand that at this point we're in, like, the... The least bad scenario outcome. Like, since UCLA and USC moved, ever since that happened. USC and UCLA leaving fucked everything. Yeah. Since and that moment, it has been, what's the least bad outcome? Not what's the best outcome, what's the least bad outcome? It was pretty clear. And it, I, I don't, and I think since that moment, I've just been consumed with this conversation. You have definitely been consumed with it. And once, if UW ends up in the Big Ten or wherever they're going to be, I will just be like, fine. Right? I don't need to pay attention to this because I am, I am basically a single-issue voter when it comes to conference realignment. But you are going to have to follow it because of the fact that is we have acknowledged many times. There's a next round of conference there's, realignment. There's not a next round. It's in infinite conference realignment. The conference realignment is basically the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's not like there's going to be like, oh, that's the last Marvel yeah, movie. Yeah, th- this back. is the Avengers Endgame probably of conference realignment that's yeah. happening right now. But then whether people are watching or not, conference realignment is going to keep going. People are watching, to be clear. The, I mean, people are watching. Not as many, but people are watching. Many people are watching. The, so basically the situation that we're in, I think what is very likely to happen 
is I think that the supposed for, the so-called four corner schools from the Pac-12. I think Arizona is a huge linchpin. Did you really need to do the so-called four corner schools? I mean, that's what they. I think there are Arizona, Arizona schools State. from the four corner states, and they're currently in the Pac-12. You, I mean, well, one of them isn't. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, they were pre- <laughs> well, yeah, they are for 2023. <laughs> Uh, for the 2023-24 academic year, I would be very surprised if Arizona stayed in the Pac-12. And I think once Arizona goes, but you think Arizona would go independent of Arizona State? I mean, because that's the one thing I think that like why this will go slower with them than Colorado is like the board of like the Colorado CU system didn't have to worry about what's happening with Colorado State because yeah. they're in not in the Pac-12. I I think things might move quickly for Arizona State as well, but. These things tend to happen. People think that they happen in pairs more often than they do. And these things tend to happen where it happens with one one piece and then another piece quickly after. It's a, less common for it to be like everybody's going all at once. I suppose. Most institutions are acting as independent institutions that are pairing with other institutions for their own current need. But they have a board of regents that oversees both the University of Arizona and Arizona yes. State University. Just as in California, the board oversees. And that's why it was unusual because... UCLA left and left Cal behind. If and that's why that, that it, there it was happened. actually a risk and, of and if, it getting voted down. If Arizona makes that decision, Arizona State probably will also make the same decision. I think they will happen simultaneously. But I'll go I'll go on the record with that one. I think those schools are going to leave. And I think we're going to end up in a pretty precarious place, which is I wouldn't be shocked if there were seasons that happened, obviously this is the last year of the Pac-12 as we know it, if there were seasons after that that were the remaining six members of the Pac-12, literally the Pac-12 North, that's it, because the entire Pac-12 South would be gone. Wow, I didn't realize that. That the Pac-12, and you know what? The Pac-12 South sucks. The Pac-12 North is the best. I mean, Utah has something to say about that. They did win the Pac-12 the last two years. But not, not necessarily like teams-wise. But they're just kind of annoying, the Pac-12 South. Because again, aside from USC and UCLA, culturally, institutionally, the schools that have the most in common with UW are the ones that are right next to us. I mean, I think Colorado has a fair bit in common, but geographically they have they less They were in, in the Big 12 for 100 years. It's true, but I'm saying like is, a re- is like a large state university investment in research. Colorado is closer to UW than they are to Oklahoma State. Yes. Not to impute Oklahoma State for no reason. <laughs> I said Iowa State earlier. Texas Tech? Let's go with Texas Tech. I don't know what Texas Tech is. I think I think that Colorado is one of the schools that makes sense in both conferences. I agree. But I But I'm what there's not, what's annoying is like this means UW does not have to play on a would not have to play on a sunny Saturday afternoon. I know. I'm Huge. I'm less convinced. I, I'm curious to see what they happens. Should, the they should only admit schools in the Northwest. Can we get Portland State, Montana, Eastern Washington, Idaho in the in the revamped? You know, Idaho was in the the Idaho would be happy to AIAW. I think at one point before it became the Pac Pac Eight. I think that ultimately, I have no idea what these conversations have been between UW and Oregon. Whether the sticking point with the Big Ten is the Big Ten isn't ready. Whether this reality of the Big Ten doesn't want to be seen as destroying the Pac-10, if that's part of it. I think that's at least maybe a small part of it. And I do think that the Four Corner Schools leaving pretty much ends that conversation. Yes. So, but I think the reality is UW and Oregon, to get into the Big Ten, probably will have to take a reduced rate. 
And whether that reduced rate, it, I think that it will reduce rate. It'll definitely be more than what they're going to get in the Pac-12, whatever a deal looks like there. It'll probably be more than they would get in the Big 12. And getting into the Big 10 is the most important thing that those two institutions can do right now, because ultimately there are two conferences that matter. The Big 12 doing their, like, circling the wagons, bringing in these schools, it doesn't, it is helpful in the short term, but there are no institutions, there are no college football programs in the current Big 12, even with the four corner schools, in football that are that important to TV networks. And that's right. who's driving this. It's an ESPN and a Fox thing, right? Well, it's not just them. <clears throat> no, the, we'll two, get to that in a second. the two conferences that matter are ESPN and Fox. I, they're, there's they're, a lot of other partners with the Big Ten. You know, they have, but it's not like Fox has all their games. NBC has games. Ultimately, uh, it is. it was Fox who brought USC and UCLA over. We know that. Sure. I, 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 Fox I think is it simplifies very, things. Very it's not involved like NBC is like, well, we don't care about LA as a TV market. And Fox is like, we do. Like, everyone cares about LA as a TV market. I understand I that. don't think we need to make it individual to the broadcasting entities. But... It, when it, Markets when, have the value that they have to everyone. When it comes down to it, TV money is getting lower than it was, and I think that's that's not going to be it's not going to stop. And I do I think that streaming is not going to be the magic bullet that people think it's going to be. I think the era of the massive massive TV deal for college programs is probably fading. So being at one of those places that already has the partnerships, that's going to get the attention and the dollar, the few dollars that are there to go around, being in the Big Ten is the most important thing because it's going to be the Big Ten and the SEC, and that's it. The ACC will eventually fall apart. might fall apart faster than we all think. We'll see what happens with Florida State. I think there are people in the ACC who want it to happen ASAP. All right, this is getting a little too but, much into your ten time. But it's two institutions. It is the Big Ten and it is the SEC. The Big 12 is working on survival right now. Those two are the, what is going to run college football. So being in is what's important. Uh, to correct myself there, Idaho was in the AAWU, was not invited to join, or, or was in the uh, Pacific Coast Conference. Then that became the AAWU, not the AIAW, which is I think I invented. Uh, Montana <laughs> was also part of the Pacific Coast Conference up through 1950. Uh, 1950, 1959 for Idaho. So uh, that's so it. And I think again, we would be happy. I think we'd be happy there. The reporting Tuesday was that the Pac-12 presidents were presented, the remaining Pac-12 presidents, such as they are, were presented with an offer from Apple TV for streaming rights, which would also include some games resold to be broadcast over the air, which is exactly the model that Apple TV has used with MLS. Is that working for MLS? I don't, I sense that fans are pretty frustrated with the Apple TV. I mean, the one thing, the, the single most annoying thing about the Apple TV MLS deal is that they inexplicably decided to just like have as many broadcasters as there are matches in a weekend. And so like every single, like they did the NFL model basically where every single different week you have a different broadcaster. And it's one thing if you've had the NFL model since TV existed, it's yeah. another thing if you try to bring that in. Whereas as a Sounders fan, I'm used to Casey Keller calls all their games. Other There's than no local broadcast TV. at all? No. Oh, it's the whole thing is Apple TV. You can get the radio broadcast feed with the TV, but it's not not exactly the same. So no MLS team has like a local TV deal. Absolutely now. not. No. Wow. So that's really what happened is people, 
and and this is actually a WNBA tie because the WNBA TV contract is coming up and people think that what MLS did is sold their national TV rights to Apple TV, but they really sold their local TV yes. rights, which had very little value to them because other than the Sounders and the Timbers road games, most fans don't watch many MLS games on TV. I mean, I would almost never like. So MLS just is it's not a huge local TV WNBA, sport. It's the opposite of baseball or something. WNBA is a different model. They get much better national TV ratings than MLS ever has, but don't have the same degree of local interest. Of local fans. Yeah. Yeah. I, sports are weird right now. <clears throat> so there would not be a like there's never really been a local broadcast for UW though. No, it wouldn't be that big of a change. We're I, I'm fine with that. I was also telling Katie for baseball. I mean, that, I think the issue is like the the age of of exactly. college football fan bases where the UW plays literally one game on Peacock and people are freaking the fuck out. Not me, because I'm going to be there. People are freaking the fuck out. Wait, what game were you playing on Peacock? Michigan State. Oh, yeah, that's what they fucked that up so bad. Did <clears throat> they? Well, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. I don't fucking Peacock. Um, I do. I've been watching the, all the uh, streaming all the World Cup matches and... And Espanol, Andres Cantor was calling the U.S. It was, it was pretty fun listening to him. Uh, how old is he? Good God! I don't. I think Andres, Andres Cantor probably got a pretty pretty early start on the, the national stage. But the reality of it, of a streaming versus TV model, is that people, not everybody, is going to watch streaming. I think that the broadcasts sometimes are very good. They're the Apple TV baseball broadcasts are excellent. They're way better than the local TV broadcasts and they're probably better than any of the national TV I would broadcasts. I say they're way better than the local TV broadcast. But I mean the quality of the like cameras and stuff yeah, is it's different. It's a yeah. good broadcast. Apple's not oh, bad at this shit. On like, contour is 60. Actually pretty young. Yeah. Apple TV's not bad at what they're doing. I'm not saying that that would be worse. It's just the ease of doing it. It, it requires a lot of people don't have Apple TV right now. You don't necessarily have to have Apple TV to subscribe to MLS Season Pass. Okay. It's just cheaper for M Apple TV subscribers. And having the games, having those games that are on ABC, on ESPN, on Fox, that shit matters. So, I mean, again, these games may be resold to some of these networks. But it's that's not a thing that, for a program like UW or Oregon that is trying to compete with USC and UCLA and Big Ten programs and even Big 12 programs, being there is a disadvantage. Like, this is not going to happen. Maybe, maybe the remaining six, the Pac-12 North schools, will sign this, but I just don't see that deal ever getting done. I think it's possible that it will happen on a short-term basis as they figure out their next move. <sighs> I don't know. We'll it's, see. It's frustrating. We'll see. I, I hope ultimately, and I again, I think if we ended up in the Big Ten, if UW and Oregon end up in the Big Ten, I think we would be fine with that as the outcome. I think having been grown up as Pac-10 fans, I think we can understand how the Big Ten works. We know the programs. We have played we, against them in the Rose Bowl. Like UW and Michigan, is, Michigan to me is like Colorado. Weirdly, that was another thing because they just happened to play UW a lot in the '90s, mm -hmm. so it Hussle. felt very nat natural to have them as a uh, conference rival. But Michigan is the same way because of the the Rose Bowls. So, if we ended up there as sort of like the West Coast wing of the Big Ten. It would kind of feel like the Big Ten was just bringing in the premier programs from the Pac-10. Well, it's also the thing that we've talked about a long period of time that, like, had 
the Pac-12 actually been able to pull off the Pac-16 and add Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and was it still Texas A&M at that point? Texas A&M. Was that, that was that long mm-hmm. ago. Uh, like, it actually would have been great because you would have just no, played. No, I think it was Tech. I think Texas A&M had left. I don't remember. But. You would have played the Pac-8 schools, and then you would have played a championship game against the Big 8 schools or whatever you want to call them, basically. Yeah, I'm fine with that. But but I'm also, at the same time, it makes more sense to do that with the Big Ten. Because, again, we are more culturally aligned with the Big Ten than we are with the Big 12. Agreed, yeah. So. And then you'd play, like, one non-conference game a year against one of the teams in the Big Ten East. or Maybe they go back to the leaders and legends. Well, I mean, there would only be four West Coast schools in this scenario. Sure. Like, we'd, we'd have to, I don't know who the... Depends how many you, Nebraska you actually like know. that. Again, fall practice begins on Wednesday. Perhaps at some point we will talk about college football in terms of games and not strictly in terms of transact. Transact. As you you said. Uh, Seahawks updates the Devin, or long Devin Witherspoon holdout nightmare came to an end after two days of training camp. He is in camp continuing to play inside rather than strictly as an outside quarterback with Trey Brown, Michael Jackson still running first team at those spots. Reek Woolen still on pup, of course. Uh, Ted and Noah Fant, the first Seahawk player off the pup list back to practice last week. So that was good to see him. An update on the NFL 100 rankings is, of course, voted on by players. Three Seahawks have appeared thus far. I assume that's the only three that are going to make it. Uh, Geno Smith was 77th. Reek Woolen was 76th after not making the top 10 of ESPN's uh, you know, insider-based uh, top 10s by position. And then Bobby Wagner, who also did not make those top 10s, 62nd. So we don't know exactly how many off-ball linebackers, how many cornerbacks there's going to be. You can kind of do the math, though, and be like, there couldn't be 10 off-ball linebackers. There's like 15 running backs in the top 100. (laughs) Many of them are not on teams right now. Oh, buddy. (laughs) We've had that conversation. Uh, But also, there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks up there and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think this is... You talked about last week, or a couple weeks ago, that that was how front offices viewed players. And I think somebody like Tariq Woolen, Tariq Woolen, he is viewed much higher by the players than by front offices. <laughs> Clearly like, he is. the people who you see... Well, the, you know what it is. What? The players didn't scout Tariq Woolen at UTSA. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't have that prior baked in in the same way. They just saw him awesome in the NFL. And same with Bobby Wagner. It's like, I don't, I don't know why Bobby Wagner has earned that level of respect with players, but not with the front offices, but... Well, it's also weird because as we talked about last week, he was like sixth the year before and then had a better season than he had in 2021 and dropped out of it. So, I, you know, there's a, there's a certain lack of internal consistency. Sometimes maybe people like value you, front offices value you based upon how much you're already being paid. And Bobby didn't come in on like a massive deal. So not a lot else going on from Seahawks camp right now. Ken Walker III has been limited due to a groin injury. I don't think there's any real concern. Zach Charbonnet dealing with a shoulder issue. So Kenny McIntosh has been one of the uh, the stars of camp thus far. Uh, another reminder that you are just as likely to find good running backs in the seventh round as you are in the second round. That's the end. Well, Charbonnet has been playing also. No, Charbonnet hasn't been playing. Oh, he's been injured. Yeah, okay. just said that. Oh. Yeah, it's been DJ Dallas and McIntosh carrying the load this far. Oh, Ken Walker and Charbonnet have both been injured. Correct. Okay, yeah. Yes. All right. 
let's get to what I really want. You want to talk about conference realignment. I want to talk about a limited that we care about that no one else cares about. Oh, (laughs) yes. Look, I got a text from a friend the other day asking for advice on the best day to go to Seafair. And let me tell you, did he come to the right spot for some detailed Seafair Seafair thoughts? Uh, Let's start with a review of last weekend's Columbia Cup at the Tri-City Walrus Follies, which was an anticlimactic final because three boats jumped the start including J. Michael Kelly in the U8 Beacon Electric, actually speeding through the start-finish, knowing he had no chance of making it uh, after the clock hit zero. I mean, that's kind of smart, right? It, it was the right play. Uh, teammate Corey Peabody and the U9 Beacon Plumbing nailed the start, and although nominally running back and forth with Andrew Tate and the U91 Goodman Real Estate throughout the race on the water, he had an enormous lead on the rest of the field due to the penalties. U11 Legend Yacht Transport... Uh, driven by Jamie Nielsen, was the other legal boat on the front line. But that that boat went dead midway through the heat, allowing the trailer boat, Dustin Eccles, in the U40 flavor pack to finish second with Kelly third and Tate in fourth. Wow. The flavor pack. <laughs> I'm not sure what flavor pack is This exactly. is legend yacht transport, too. There's a yacht transport company that is promoting itself here. Yeah, this one does. Well, we'll talk about this. Is the sport of the everyman too? We'll, we'll, no, we'll talk about a relatable, relatable sponsor later on. Is there a more relatable sponsor than that one coming? I mean, Beacon Plumbing is pretty relatable, yes, but, sure. but there's another one you'll enjoy. Uh, Peabody capped off a perfect weekend by winning the final. He was the leading qualifier, won all three preliminary heats, adding this to a win on points in Guntersville in the first weekend of racing this year. Uh, boats owned by Tri Cities based Strong Racing have won all three races thus far with kelly getting the other win on points in madison that came after peabody's boat was knocked out of that race peabody from due to boat damage i think he is among the uh the seattle area okay yeah i want want you to say like marysville that's what i'm looking for but (laughs) i I I need a city in western washington that's not seattle i had this in the notes it's an outskirt but do not have it. Yeah, oh, they never live in Seattle, per se. Oh, that's right. Corey Peabody went to elementary school with J. Michael Kelly. Oh, there we go. So, Wow, what a star-studded class. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is the current... Uh, oh, let's went see to here. elementary school. <laughs> like you said that as if you were surprised that someone went to elementary school. No, just like that. that's... <laughs> It makes it seem like that was the they last time they went they to didn't school. Go, well, you know, sometimes you go to different middle schools. It's, it's possible here. I'm not seeing, though, the uh, the the location here uh, uh, that is his current hometown. Where, where did he come from? Well, where, where, where did Covington. he grow? Covington. Covington. That's there right go. there. Yeah. Man. Oh, look. It's it's all where you're in. It's your, the epicenter is not far from where you are. Yeah, my children at. could grow up to be a... Uh, oh. uh, they definitely seem to have the... Unlimited hydroplane drivers. Actually, Mateo. I Mateo? See, yeah. He's going to have to tone down the swearing for his post... Most Turn down the swearing? For his post-race interview. You think they're not swearing in unlimited hydroplanes? Not not onto the microphone. Well, you know, he'll learn to control it, but they are letting it fly down there in the pits. I guarantee <laughs> you. <laughs> Every professional sport, and even these fringe professional sports... 
Uh, the best news is everybody who may race at Seafair came out of Sunday without any serious damage. Nine boats expected this weekend. Uh, we will not see the U3 Kriggs Ace Hardware, which traditionally has only run the Tri-Cities race among the West Coast Swing. But we add to the field, the U60, the Beast Unleashed presents this Thriftway. Hello! <laughs> Bringing back a classic sponsor. The Beast Unleashed. I did not look up what the Beast Unleashed is. <laughs> is, it a, is it a beef jerky? My guess was energy drink. Okay. Although, I, you know, you could also go with, like, uh, that definitely could be, like, a an adult supplement. Oh, it is It is an energy drink. Yeah. It's from Monster. Okay. That, that Monster Energy out. Drink. The Beast Unleashed. Wow. That's a, that's a pretty big-time sponsor right there. The Beast Unleashed Variety Pack 12-Pack. <laughs> we'll see how many people are bringing those down to Genesee Oh, it's Park. alcohol. Oh, I is that okay? Will, you will not be bringing it down to Genesee Park. What do you mean? Is that okay? Like, can they sponsor? Yeah, they they have alcohol sponsors. You you're aware that the most famous sport in the history I thought... team in the history of the sport was the Miss Budweiser. <laughs> okay, and whatever. that for a long period of time, their their rival was the the Miller American. <laughs> also, there were a variety. Of this is good. Then this is good old school. I love that they tied in the Miss Thriftway too. Yeah. This so. is huge. There are four flavors. <laughs> In the variety pack? The flavored malt beverage contains 6% alcohol. There are four flavors. Mean green, white haze, peach perfect, and, watch yourself, scary berries. <laughs> uh, if I could consume any candy, Wait, hold on. I have to drink more. I would do it. Mean green is modeled on the flavor of the original Monster Energy drink. <laughs> White haze should taste similar to the citrusy Monster Energy Zero Ultra, part one, as it is based on that flavor. Monster is modeling pe- perfect peach on the Monster Energy flavor Ultra Peachy Keen. All of the Monster, the Beast Unleashed flavors will not contain caffeine. You heard us right. Oh. That's what it actually says. You heard us right. I maybe hypothetically could drink this, but there you go. You could it's still it's unleash still, the beast. It's still troubling to me that it's based on Monster Energy drink. I'm, I'm it looks clear. like the logo from the original, not the original Godzilla movie, of course. When you <laughs> from the when people complain about like when we're old and we're like children don't understand rappers from when they were young, right? Like Mike Sean talking about Eminem, and I was like, how old is Mike Sean when Eminem had hits? Five. I just called the original Godzilla. A movie that came out in 1996 yeah, but, yeah. and starred Dylan McDermott. Really? I don't know who is in that movie. I I don't know. I've never I've never seen it. I just remember the Jimmy the Page PGD, and, Jimmy and Page Puff Daddy, which, of course. Yeah. Literally, when you type in Godzilla, like there's so many films that come up, <laughs> and none of them are that one. <laughs> 2021, 2023, 2019, 2024. Type in, type in Puff Daddy and uh, 1998. It is 1998. And Jimmy Page. Yeah, I thought it was 1998. Matthew Broderick, not Dylan McDermott. Okay. Classic action star Matthew Broderick. Yeah. Wonder why that film wasn't successful. Went straight from Godzilla to election. What a turn. Wow. Uh, Anyways. That will be driven by Ricky Gunnar O'Farrell of Maple Valley, driving the boat owned by his father Brian and grandfather Greg. Uh, since Seafair is the last race of the season this year on the H1 Unlimited Circuit, the natural National High Points race will be decided. Uh, J. Michael Kelly comes into this final 19 points ahead of his teammate, Corey Peabody. Nobody else is within 500 points. So 
looking like strong racing is going to claim the U1 designation for next year one way or another and we'll see J. Michael Kelly and Corey Peabody battle it out there this we weekend go. for that title that's huge for the king of Covington <laughs> they yep. still have a monarchy there <laughs> Covington is still a monarchy <laughs> decided by hydroplane racing <laughs> I mean, look. That's I know only, this. It's like two towns over for me. That's that's really the only fair way to do it is <laughs> unlimited hydroplane racing, is it not? Godzilla received generally <laughs> negative reviews from critics. <laughs> <laughs> its critical consensus states: without compelling characters or heart, Godzilla stomps on everything that made the original or any monster movie worth its salt a classic. Wow, but what did they say about the soundtrack? About the about the soundtrack? Yeah, I think there was a category that said music. The soundtrack featuring alternative rock music was released on May nineteenth, nineteen ninety eight, by Epic Records. It was a success on the music charts, peaking at number two on the Billboard two hundred, and was certified platinum on June twenty second, nineteen ninety eight. The album was supported by the single "Come With Me," performed by Sean Combs and Jimmy Page. And did you know that that song is not on Spotify? I have looked multiple times. Wow, how am I supposed to reminisce for the Sonics coming out of a timeout in 2002? Yeah, if only there was the another song quarter. you could listen to that sounded something like it. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> as I tell, as, thanks for listening. No, no, you gotta say what you were gonna say. I tell my children we're listening to Cashmere, and I'm like, "Did you know?" <laughs> and uh, they, I can't, I can't bring it up. They never know. Thanks for listening. <laughs>